don't be afraid to reach out to people to ask them if they're willing to mentor you or meet with you or spend some time. And I think any of us who have kind of done it ourselves are always happy to help other people learn how to do it, whatever it is. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week we have great conversations with wonderful guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. Uh, these are policymakers, healers, artists, coffee shop owners, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. you name it. Uh, we talk to them about their gifts, how they share their gifts with the community. And it all centers around this big point of purpose in our lives. And I can't wait to continue amplifying Native voices today. So, Leah. Absolutely. What's up? So, I have to say, I have been sleeping really well. (laughs) And the trick has been sleeping outside. (laughs) Nice. So... I don't know. We've talked before about my small off-grid canvas tent with a little wood stove, and I do have some solar panels for a battery, all of that stuff on our property here, just to see if I could do it. (laughs) And so I've been sleeping outside more and more. I should say overnight, not just, you know, as naps, but (laughs) it gets really cold and for some reason, it it's really good sleep. I wake up probably three, four times <laughs> overnight, but there's a lot of um, critters yes. making noise. Yes. I tell you, I have never heard such odd noises <laughs> in my life. I was talking to dad and, he, and I was trying to tell him what I heard. And I was like, it was like half goose, half coyote. I don't know. <laughs> Just squawking along the river. I have no idea what it is. Uh, I'm sure uh, those with more knowledge would know more than I, but it's amazing how sleeping outside, you just wake up feeling like you've slept a thousand years. (laughs) I I don't know what it is. (laughs) It's that camping sleeping. That's me. Very nice, very nice. (laughs) So anyway, yeah. So in summary... I'm sleeping great. <laughs> That's great. And on the other hand, I'm working earlier shifts this week, so um, I'm sleeping a little less than usual, but I'm going to get a nice nap in after this, I think. It's going to be great. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Naps are good. But yeah, um, this episode um, has somewhat of an education leaning due to our guest's background, but this, this person also has a lot of experience with newspaper journalism and uh, actually theater. Um, so uh, there's a lot of different aspects going on and I can't wait to discuss those topics with her too. Today we're speaking with Toya Stewart Downey. Mm-hmm. Toya Stewart Downey is a fellow Malax band of Ojibwe citizen and is the executive director of strategic communication, equity and inclusion for Robbinsdale area schools. She also serves on the board of directors for the online Minnesota news website, MinPost. So here she is. Excellent. Boujou. Hi. Howdy. How's it going? It's good. It's busy. You know, it's a little crazy, but it's good. Very good. Very no good. complaints. Happy to have a job. Yeah. I mean, there you go. Yeah. That is good. 
Could you please just introduce yourself and uh, you know where you're joining us from? My name is Toya Stewart-Downey, and I am joining you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm currently sitting in my office at Robbinsdale Area Schools, where I am. My role here, I've been uh, in the district for just over a year, and my role is the Executive Director of um, Strategic Communication, Equity, and Inclusion. Very nice. I can't wait to get into that role uh, yeah. soon enough. But uh, but first, uh, how are you and your family you know, doing uh, during the pandemic and just as school goes on this fall? You know what? Things are going pretty good. I'm, we're pretty um, fortunate that um, in my immediate family, no one has um, had COVID in, in my household, although I do have some relatives um, close relatives and lots of friends who have dealt with COVID. And thankfully, um, you know, while some people have been pretty sick, um, we haven't experienced as many losses in my family as I know other people have. So I feel really fortunate about that. Um, I think that um, mentally, you know, the toll of COVID has impacted all of us in some way or another. And um that is, we, we, we won't know yet for a while what, what that looks like or sounds like or feels like because we're still dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So Executive Director of Strategic Communication, Equity and Inclusion, that's, that, that's a big, that sounds like a big title um, and a lot of hats. Uh, and more and more, especially with the pandemic, we've noticed, at least I've noticed how significant communicating is. You know, we're not in the same rooms necessarily with one another passing information along with like simple like little like sheets or you know just announcements or anything like that. It's like we have to make sure we're communicating. Um, you know, even you know at at some points during the pandemic it was like daily like da- daily communication. <laughs> so have you seen this work expand? in the last couple of years or um, what have you seen as far as the changes in strategic communication? I think what I've seen change and you all are probably aware of this too, is the expectation that communications mm-hmm. should happen often mm-hmm. and should meet the needs of all audiences. Mm-hmm has changed. You know, I think people used to say, you know, that one email a day could, from a school PR perspective, might be enough. But now I think people expect to see multiple um, communications about every topic Mm -hmm. and they expect to see it, um, communications happen and a quick turnaround time. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that goes into sort of this we all have phones, we walk around phones, or we have devices, and we're so connected to technology that we expect that our communication should reflect the fact that we all have devices and can check our emails mm-hmm. or get text messages all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting because last year during COVID, we had so many different messages to send out, and we were really concerned about people getting fatigued with getting so many messages from us. So we started doing one communication, if if it was a day that we had lots to communicate, and then putting um, little headlines on the top of each topic Mm -hmm. so that someone, they might get a page and a half email of here's what's happening with 
you know, COVID restrictions, learning models and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we just put like little headlines on them to help people just get all the information at once. We thought that it was effective, but some parents said, that's too much. We'd rather get multiple emails. (laughs) So it's never, you know, the balance is just never quite right. right. There's no pleasing everybody. Yeah. I also think people expect transparency Mm -hmm. more than ever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when that changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, I think it's important to be transparent and to say what you can say and tell your story. But it feels like in the last couple of years, People want all the information. And then even if you give them all the information, they may not necessarily believe what you're Uh, telling them. Yeah. So there's that as well. It's definitely complex. Well, I was going to say, but I love doing this work. You know what I mean? I think um, this was actually a sort of a natural transition for me from journalism Mm -hmm. into school PR because I used to be an education reporter and I covered schools. And I thought if I ever leave the news business, moving into a school PR job might be the right thing for me. You know, education impacts everybody. Everybody has an opinion about it. It's, you know, part of the sort of system, one of the systems in our country. So it just kind of made a good fit for me to be in a role like this. I'm really, you know, I like my work a lot. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Toya Stewart-Downey, Malax Band of Ojibwe Citizen and Executive Director of Strategic Communication, Equity and Inclusion for Robbinsdale Area Schools. All right, so Toya, as you uh, have talked about, you were named the uh, Executive Director of Strategic Communication, Equity and Inclusion for Robbinsdale Area Schools. Could you just tell us a little bit about, you know, what that role entails, you know, maybe your daily duties and just how it's been over the last year or so? Okay, I started with Robbinsdale Area Schools a week before school started last year. So right sort of in the middle of the pandemic and where kids were, you know, going back to school in the fall. And so last year, I spent a lot of time doing COVID communications. But part of my role is also in Robbinsdale is a smaller district. It's it's a large, it's a medium-sized district, but it's smaller than Minneapolis, St. Paul, or Anoka Hennepin. So in larger districts, you typically have um, a person who oversees a department. In Robbinsdale, we, the people who are like in leadership roles tend to oversee multiple departments. So I also, besides the communications team, um, have oversight over the achievement integration team. And then the print shop, the people who print, you know, do publications work for the school district. So the print shop, you know, they're pretty much hands off. They um, know what they're doing. They're making, you know, flyers and copies and brochures and booklets for schools and postcards. But achievement integration and the communications part requires daily oversight. So my days are um, pretty busy with helping um, guide the work of both teams or helping make decisions or problem solve. It's different kind of work because the achievement integration work is really people focused because those, the people who work on that team are typically in schools. And so they're in the schools helping students and families. And then on the communication side, it's doing communications for internal audiences and external audiences. It's for families, it's for students and it's for staff. So on a day like today, um, we had a staff newsletter that was sent out. So part of my job was editing that and and um, 
helping uh, tweak some of the content. It was also um, helping with um, letters to the community that we needed to send out and then making plans for sort of next steps and work that we have to do. So it, that's kind of the strategy. For example, I think this is a really good example too. We A lot of school districts this year offered a virtual learning option because a lot of families didn't want to go back to school in person because of the Delta variant. So we were able to um, offer Robbinsville Virtual Academy, but how are we going to retain those families and those students next year? So we ta- our team talked today about what do we need to do to market and to communicate with those families so that when they're done at the end of the school year, they'll still maybe want to continue with the virtual learning because they had such a good experience this year. You know what I mean? So I'm, and then there was a little crisis communication involved in that and a little bit of communication about transportation because we've got some busing issues in Robbinsdale. Mm-hmm. So yeah. do you know what I mean? It just kind of covered a bunch of different topics. Yeah, they're all kind of like related. So I want to get, I want to just make sure we are clear on the achievement and integration program. That's through the Minnesota Department of Education, right? It's, it's a state program. And then I, I can see here that it's the purpose of it, the Achievement and Integration for Minnesota program is uh, to pursue racial and economic integration, increase student achievement, create equitable educational opportunities, and reduce academic disparities based on students' diverse racial, ethnic, and economic backgrounds in Minnesota public schools. Uh, do you have a, a one-liner? <laughs> a one-liner for what Achievement and Integration program is, Toya? So I believe that all school districts have to have some sort of achievement integration program. Mm. And so this is new work for me because I've not supervised Mm. this team before. When I worked in St. Paul Public Schools, I was strictly communications and marketing and grants. So this is um, new work for me in Robbinsdale, which is kind of what I said. People wear multiple hats in, in in smaller districts. So our, our office of achievement integration is combined with college and career readiness Mm. And so it's responsible for addressing issues of race and equity mm-hmm. throughout the district. Mm-hmm. And um, under that, under the umbrella of achievement integration is also the American Indian Education Program, which we're mandated to have mm-hmm. through the Minnesota Department of Education. Great. Does that help? Yes, I think so. Just to make sure we, we're all on the same page here. <laughs> so... In 2018, you went uh, to a, like a slightly different environment theater. Could you tell us about your time at the at the Ordway? I I liked working in the theater world for a while. I learned a lot, but it wasn't exactly the right job for me. So I was the director of communications and um, inclusion, and I did diversity, equity, inclusion work there. Yeah. The Ordway is a um, it's a nonprofit and that a lot can impact it financially. Um, like if a show cancels or if a cast gets sick or whatever might happen. And I think COVID sort of showed us what happens in the arts world when there aren't, when art isn't happening. So I learned a lot while I was there. I learned a lot, of, a lot more about diversity, equity, and inclusion work since that was part of my job. I was able to, um, you know, really study sort of the DEI work by going to trainings and meeting with other practitioners of diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and then learn sort of the behind the scenes of how Broadway works. And it's fascinating. Mm. It is 
fascinating, you know? And so now when I go to a show, I kind of know what it is to have a touring cast and what it means to be an equity person and a non-equity person and, you know, sort of the work that goes into getting a touring company around the country, you know, all those things that were just really interesting to learn about. And um, I'd say, so as a person who is an arts patron, it's made me sort of appreciate the arts in a different way. And it's made me a little smarter and it has allowed me sort of a behind the scenes look at another industry that unless you're in that industry, you kind of don't know how things happen. Right. So as a result of that work, I'm now recently, I just joined the board of theater Latida. Oh, Um, based on my time at the org where they asked if, you know, they were seeking new board members and seeking, you know, more diversity on their board, quite frankly. And knew about my time at the Ordway and someone recommended me. And so I just joined the board recently. And so that allows me then to use my voice in another way, in another forum, and to help maybe perhaps guide some work. Mm-hmm. And they're already doing great work there, right? So um, that's kind of a, a cool outcome because it still keeps me connected in some ways to the arts world from a different perspective. Yeah. So, but, you know, I, when I think about working there, I enjoyed it but I didn't get the rush that I get from doing what I do now. Sometimes we don't, we just don't know what a path, where a path will take us and what opportunities will arise. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Toya Stewart-Downey, Black's Band of Ojibwe Citizen and Executive Director of Strategic Communication, Equity, and Inclusion for Robbinsdale Area Schools. So, uh, Toya, we were talking earlier about your experience uh, as a journalist. Could you just tell us about your, you know, experience in journalism? You know, what led to that? And, you know, I, I saw that you, you know, you've worked for these major newspapers. Yeah, I, um, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. The idea to be a journalist didn't really come up until I was maybe high school. Part of it is, you know, back in the day, people subscribed to print newspapers. That was a thing. And so we used to get the Star Tribune and I would read it because I loved the news and I loved reading anything. And I never really read stories about people like me. You know, it was not, or you know, that you just didn't really read it. Right. So my background is I'm Native American black and white. So finding stories about multiracial, multicultural people just really wasn't that prevalent in journalism back then. So when I was in high school, I did a program called the Urban Journalism Workshop, which is now Journalism 360. And I worked with reporters at the Star Tribune and Pioneer Press for about three weeks during the summer. And I decided I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. And so I wrote for my high school paper. And then I ended up getting a scholarship at the U of M. But one of the things that I was confusing to me is I didn't know if I wanted to do TV journalism or print journalism. So I left school for a couple of years trying to figure out life like some people do. Now, I'm the first college graduate in my family. So my parents had some college education. But, you know, I think sometimes you need role models and examples. And while they encouraged, you know, us going to college, I just didn't really have any examples, right, in my immediate life, in my immediate household. So I, I quit school for about three years. I worked at a bank. I said, I cannot do this the rest of my life. I've got to go back to school. And by then I started hanging out with journalists, local journalists who worked at the Star Tribune, 
and the Pioneer Press. And I saw through them more people of color, um, more Native journalists. And I, and I said, you know, this is possible for me. I can have a career doing this. And so I actually started doing internships and writing for anybody that I could write for, which included some small community papers around here and, you know, freelancing for the Minnesota Daily at the U of M. Went back to school, finished my degree. Um, I actually changed my major. It was journalism, but then I ended up changing it to an interdisciplinary path, which, and I did English, African-American studies and rhetoric because rhetoric is a weird thing, but it also covered scientific writing and technical writing and different kinds of writing and communicative speech. And someone had told me, just major in something that you like. You can still be a journalist, even if you don't major in journalism. So I had a lot of friends who were guiding me along the way and helping me apply for internships. And, you know, so I started going to journalism conferences. And I mean, I remember when I would go to journalism conferences like NAJA and NABJ, Native American Journalists Association and National Association of Black Journalists, that I would then I'd collect everybody's business cards and I'd come home and write letters to try to get internships. And it worked out. I ended up getting an internship. Actually, my first internship was at the Star Tribune on the features desk. So I spent nine months at the Strib. And then I got an internship in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the Argus Leader. Um, They offered me a job. I was like, oh, I don't think I want to live in South Dakota. But there was this program. It was a year-long internship program where you go and spend four months in three different cities. And I said, you know what? I'm going to turn down a job and do this internship because it's going to take me around the country and I'll get a chance to see how newspapers work in other parts of the country. So I spent some time in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Kansas City, and in um, Fort Worth, Texas. And then it ended up at the end of my internship. It was a calculated risk and it worked out in my favor because then the Fort Worth Star-Telegram offered me a job and I worked there for a couple of years and then moved on to the Dallas Morning News which is one was, you know, one of the top 10 papers in the country. So it was cool. It was, a, it was, you know, I mean, I learned a lot along the way and I, now I say, man, I wish I would have stayed in college, you know, and I would have been, you know, in my career a few years earlier or been, you know, not getting to the journalism world, you know, five years after some of my friends, but you know what, things work out the way they work out. And I learned a lot and it's given me sort of some expertise in different areas. I think things work out the way they're supposed to. And the path that I was on was my path. It gave me perspective and it let me know that I can do a lot of different things. It let me know that banking was not for me. I would have not been happy in that career. It was fun, you know, being a bank teller. And at one point I was a commercial bank teller and counting thousands of dollars. It was like, oh my God, people can live like this. But, um, and it also allowed me to help, um, show other people in my family, my friends that they could do it. And I've had, you know, my younger siblings, you know, they watched me, they went to college, they've graduated. A couple of us hold, you know, master's degrees. And, you know, some of my friends said, Hey, I saw you go back to college, you know, as an older adult and I did it. And so, you know, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So. I love that. I'm a huge fan of carving out your own path. (laughs) Kind of just following your, adventuresome self. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I wrote for, I, re, I write for the tribal newspaper. I kind of took some time off while I was moving into this new job. But when I was in Texas, um, the former director of um, government affairs was trying to recruit me to come back and work for the tribe. 
I was like, I'm not done being a journalist yet, but if I ever move back to Minnesota, I'll do it. So I did get a chance to work for the tribe for a couple of years in the government affairs team Mm -hmm. as a writer and editor before I went to St. Paul public schools. But then I also um, took a couple of years off and then started writing for the tribal newspaper again and did that for a while, which is how I ended up meeting both of you and writing about you. And just recently I've started, you know, sort of picking up the pen again to write for the tribal newspaper but I've also had the um, really good experience of writing for um, the American Indian Graduate Center magazine. So I wrote a story last year about the 2020 census. Mm. And then I just finished a story recently about language revitalization. So I'm ready. To, that'll come out probably later this month or early next month. But, you know, I'm glad that people are reaching out to me, asking me to write for them because, you know, um, I wrote something for the Hamlin Mitchell, William Mitchell College of Law on a someone who's in their program. So I think, um, you know, it lets me still do a little bit of journalism mm-hmm. on the side, which I dig. Mm-hmm. So Very, good. Very cool. So Toya, any final thoughts as we close? Any, any, um, anything you'd like to put in summary, maybe for up and coming journalists um, or uh, commu- strategic communicators? Um, I think it's really important to connect with people mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to reach out to people to ask them if they're willing to mentor you or meet with you or spend some time. Uh, You know, I think that's part of the reason I was able to get into journalism and be successful is because I had people who were willing to meet with me and spend time with me and show me the ropes. And I think any of us who have kind of done it ourselves are always happy to help other people learn how to do it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think it's important as, um, you know, people who have been professionals for a while to help the next generation come up and learn how to do it. And, you know, I do think that it's important to ask for help, you know, and I wasn't afraid to ask for help in my early in my career because I knew where I wanted to go. I just wasn't sure how to get there. And part of the reason why I left, I was, I graduated from the U of M university of Minnesota, both my graduate degree and my undergraduate degree um, and part of the reason why I left school for three years is because I had mentor journalism mentors, but none of them were, were like me. They were, you know, older white people who had been in the business a long time. They didn't understand the, I don't believe, the different dynamics of what it's like to come in as a woman, as a native woman, a bicultural woman, a biracial woman, a black woman, a white, you know what I mean? They just didn't have that. And so I couldn't see myself there. And I was getting conflicting advice about what I should do with my career. So I left until I could figure it out. But had I known them what I know now, I may have done something differently um, and sought out other people, like made an introduction to someone, you know, at some other newspapers to just say, hey, I really want to do this, but I'm not sure how. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say ask for help. And, you know, I'm certainly if there are any journalists, budding journalists that want to talk to me, I'm always available because I know people. You all know people. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for us to be a resource for um, folks that are interested in our work. That's wonderful. I think that's yeah, one I, of the biggest hurdles to get over is to be able to ask for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree. Well, thank you so much for your, your time with us today and your, you know, your perspective and the fact that you're getting your voice into those in, environments and all that and all that. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Toya. Yeah, miigwech. She's so wonderful to talk to. Yay. Yeah, exactly. I know. I, 
there's so much more, you know, I wanted to mine, but, you know, there's only so much time. <laughs> so thank you to Toya Stewart-Downey, Malax Band of Ojibwe Citizen and Executive Director of Strategic Communication, Equity and Inclusion for Robbinsdale Area Schools. Absolutely. I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Cole Primo. Miigwech for listening. Gay Wapman. Gay Wapman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.